You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger. Best of 2020, Volume 1. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger, and I hope everyone had a good Christmas. Really quick before we get started, please consider supporting me and Back to the Light at patreon.com slash J.D. Rieger. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash J-D-R-E-A-G-E-R. Also, check out the many fine podcasts, musicians, and products available at backtothelight.net. Okay. This podcast is part one of a two-part Best of 2020 series. Part two will be next week. This sequence was put together and narrated by guest producer and friend of the show, Brendan Danley, who maybe had a little too much fun introducing the clips, as you will hear. Still, we appreciate his input and assistance with this project very much. In this collection, you are going to hear bits with Ken Stringfellow from The Posies and Big Star, David Ketching from Rancho de la Luna, Queens of the Stone Age, and The Modifiers, The Modifiers, Joey Pegram from Shabadoo and Two-Way Radio, Josh Cosby from Star and Micey, Steve Selvage from The Hold Steady and Sons of Mudboy, etc., Big Don Valentine with Dr. Aaron Sayers, Arthur with two H's, Michael Graber from Grabergrass, and William Luke White from Snowglobe and etc. Happy New Year, enjoy the program, and take it away, Brendan. August 24th, the Sumeria of rock and roll. Good Sir Knight Ken Stringfellow recounts an act of bravery. I urged Robin to let me play with him on his songs, and it ended up being, you know, everybody plays with everybody, so, you know, I played along with him, and from that time on, so we just played a few shows at different times together. Um, probably the most memorable um, was when uh, Big Star was playing a festival in Norway in, like, 2002 or three or four. I don't really don't remember what year it was. Um, what year was that? I'll have to look it up. Anyway, early 2000s, and... Um, as it turns out, Robin was there. We were playing the main stage, and Robin um, popped by, and he said, "Yeah, strings. Um, be really great if you could. Um, you've got a bass." And I'm like, "Yeah, play bass. I play bass. Then the band. And that's, I've got a bass. Yeah, great. Um, come to the campfire, and because um, we're doing a, it's a campfire stage, which is really cool. It's like a stage they do way out after dark, um, and there's you know maybe a couple hundred you know, kind of bleacher seats around a campfire and then sort of safely away from the fire, a little stage. And then behind the stage, um, it's just like a cornfield. So, and it's, um, it's fallow already at that time. So it's like, you know, corn stubble and they light it. So you kind of see like, it just makes this incredible pattern, um, that just goes on for infinity behind the stage. Really cool. Anyway, because the festival is called Down on the Farm, by the way. And uh, so there is just one complication with me playing bass uh, with Robin at the show, which I didn't find out until I was plugging in my bass, which is the, the one thing that could you could say you would love to do in your life and also like, oh, my God, considering I'm, I'm just doing this impromptu and I have to be perfect, is 
when the guy that's going to be standing next to you while you're playing bass is John Paul Jones, it's a little nerve wracking. That's all I can say. Oh so, my gosh. So yeah, I so he, can only imagine JPJ was playing mandolin. And so <laughs> I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, <laughs> you know, this is, and, and Robin says, yeah, so, um, let's just do like dear prudence. I'm like, Oh, great. You know, it's got this crazy baseline. <laughs> and I, and the, the good news is, is I just, you know, I said, I, I cannot fuck this up. I cannot play one bad note that the shame on my name, if I, fucked up playing bass in front of one of the greatest bass players of all time who I hold in incredibly high esteem uh, would be too great. I'd have to commit seppuku, but it went great. August 9th, The Modifiers Chronicles. His Excellency David Ketching tells how he forced his way past an elderly doorman. You try to explain how great The Modifiers were. I mean, I, I had been seeing them for a couple of years before I played with them, you know, we played a lot of shows together. And I remember one time, uh, you know, like Milford had, he like came out and he had these two giant dudes that he worked with carrying him in on a surfboard. And he had like plungers and scepters and was dressed really crazy. And, you yep. know, it was always, it was always really wild. And, and another awesome show that we did at the antenna is I, I went in and there was this like, super weird dude at the in a wheelchair at the at the front door and he was being a total dick to everybody that came in and he you know i walk in he's like i love the story yeah i was like five bucks and i'm like i'm in the band he goes i don't give a fuck five bucks and i'm like no i'm playing and he's like no one gets in without five bucks and i kind of pushed by and he was pushing me and shit and i was like wow okay (laughs) And then, you know, I, I went in and I, I saw Bob and I was like, man, who the fuck did they get to work the door tonight? The guy's a total asshole. And, and Bob was like, yeah, man, no shit. That guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> so, you know, we're hanging out and it's time to go on. And we're like, where's Milford? Where's Milford? And Bob was like, you know what? We're just going to go on. And, and if Milford shows up, he shows up. If not, I'll sing. And I was like, okay. So we got on stage and we started playing. And of course it was Milford in this crazy disguise in a wheelchair and he comes wheeling up to the front of the stage and <laughs> jumped up right in time to start the first song. And I, I almost couldn't play. I was laughing so hard. It was so fucking funny, but they would do shit like that all the time. You know, I, I just heard that story recently, actually when Bob died and I was uh, writing the story for the flyer about it. And I think, I, I think it was Ross Johnson told me that story and yeah. I, I almost died. Oh my God. I mean, it, it was great. Cause they didn't even tell me. So no one, no one knew. <laughs> I mean, was Bob, I guess Bob had to be in on it, but was it, no one else was in on it. Oh no, no one else at all. No one knew. I think Jamie was playing drums. He didn't know either. He, we were just like, I guess we'll just get up there and play for, I don't remember who was playing bass at the, at, at that show. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but, uh, I think, it may, Oh, I think it was Randy Sherto was playing bass because he played I've got some pictures of him in the band that are cool yeah so he he played he played bass in the band a lot when i was in the band before we went to la
14th. This place. My Shabba bro, Joey Pegram, is a stranger in a strange land. So yeah, living in this place, been here so long, I've kind of gotten used to it, and now it's actually more of a culture shock to go back to the U.S. than it is to be here. But of course, like, I'm a foreigner here, and then when I go back to the U.S., I feel like a foreigner there, and I kind of feel like a foreigner wherever I go now. I, uh... I suppose I'm prepared for it because I've always kind of felt like I never fit in, no matter what group I was with. So um, anyway, I uh, I wrote this song called This Place. It's actually a few years old now. I think I wrote it probably after I'd been here about half a year in China. So like 2016. This place I'm in I know it's got me in a place I don't fit in and I've got to got to set it straight all the parts have got to find a place I know I've got my place in it This place has got
July 28th on The Bandwagon. Good Samaritan Joshua Cosby laments a poor, poor kitty. But yeah, this song was about this cat named Sundance that was the coolest cat on the green line at the end of our street. And um, we'd say hi to him every day. But his thing is he liked to lay out in the road and like get his belly up in the air in the sun. And then, you know, you'd rub it. But then cars, you know, will drive down our, our tiny neighborhood street full of children and animals going 50 and 70 miles an hour. Sure. I remember it well. And, um, well, one day I was walking and the sun was setting and there's Sundance and I'm like walking up to him to say hi. And I realize he's dead. You know, he's, his fur's all disheveled and he had gotten rolled under a car and his collar got broken off and picked his body up and I took it to the house at the end of our street. That's the owners. And, um, kind of like, seems like this tough guy, um, his, through this song, I got to actually like meet him and show him and, and stuff. And he couldn't believe it. And, but and when I handed him the cat, he like broke down in tears. Oh man. And it's just like, wow, there's like, obviously a very like strong, tough guy. And he is, you know, has a heart, a soft heart and it was really sad and so i wrote the song about that and how i want the cars to slow down so anyway that's what this is take it away all right i'm gonna sing kind of quiet because my baby's sleeping i saw sundance lying dead setting of the sun I took his body to the house where no one ever cuts their lawn I never thought I'd see the big man cry and there were cars flying by so I don't have to shout it out I want to figure it out Or just to get it back Maybe I forgot just what It would feel like to be young on my Facebook feed Driving fast and smoking weed Only thinking about me And there's still cars flying by I want to figure it out Shout it out, I want to figure it out Or just forget about it I want to figure it out Just 
November 30th, Brick Walls and Train Tracks. Supreme Steve Selvage tells us about his cool-ass dad. Thanks for joining me. Oh, man, glad to be here. I hope you don't mind me starting with something sort of serious, but um, there's something the two of us have in common. And I thought about this. Yeah, and that's the fact that you are a second-generation musician. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like me, and I'm curious, you know, how did that shape your life and, you know, sort of influence your career path to being a musician yourself? Um, greatly, you know, I mean, it certainly was all I ever wanted to do. Um, and I, I would assume that was in a large part because of my dad um, and his friends Same. too. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it, it I, I, I don't have a concept of any other way. You know what I mean? Um, so it just <clears throat> seeing what he was doing and having him around and, and, and just, I guess that combined with just love of music in general, it was just sort of a foregone conclusion. Yeah. I mean, did he teach you how to play guitar to start? Okay. So I was 10 when I decided I've been kind of messing around with drums a little bit, but something kind of broke through and I was, when I was 10 and I was like, I want to play guitar. And I was really into rise and fall of Z stardust. My brother got me into that. And, uh, I asked my dad to teach me, uh, you know, the opening bit to Ziggy stardust. And, uh, he was like, I'll tell you what, I'll teach you E a and D, you know, cause like just cowboy chords all there right together. And when you can move through those quickly, then come back and, um, I'll teach you something else. Um, and, by the time I had kind of mastered, well, not mastered, but, you know, got that under my fingers, I kind of had moved on. Like there was a, do you remember the complete Beatles in the early eighties? Oh. oh, sure. Yeah. I mean like the HBO used to show it all the time. Right. But there was a companion book with it that had like, you know, guitar chords for the songs. So I started learning stuff out of that. But anyway, my dad basically just like from actually sitting down, and teaching me, he taught me those three chords, but that was about it um, in terms of like demonstrative instruction. Right. Uh, I mean, I can remember playing uh, Casey Jones, not the Grateful Dead Casey Jones, but the Furry Lewis Casey Jones, um, which just it's just this one figure on the guitar. It never changes. It never goes to the four or the five or whatever. Um, and I remember going to the four, I was playing at my room and I kind of went to the four chord and from somewhere else in the house, I heard my dad just scream. It never goes to the four chord. <laughs> <laughs> so that was instruction. Um, but you know, I, I was quickly sort of on my own path 
which had a lot of similarities to his, but also a lot of differences. Like, you know, he wasn't going to show me some Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, you know, so I was, I was on my own with that one. Um, so his, his instruction and mentorship was much more of a kind of a conceptual thing, I guess. And and I would assume that he was probably, I mean, were you tagging along to gigs and practices absolutely. and stuff like that? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, my love of not only music, but like the environment of it. Like I have like whenever I'm fortunate enough to play like a festival or when I used to be fortunate enough to play a festival, um, like I get a real nostalgic twinge. Cause like, I remember like those gigs, like it might've been a Memphis and May kind of thing or, you know, some blues festival or whatever, but like when my boy would play and just the vibe around that was really seductive to me as a kid. Um, and, and I, man, I also, I used to just tag along with him to like the, the North end. I mean, he brought us to Jefferson square when he was doing that gig, but that was like family. Like we were all just there together, which was sweet because like, if your dad's playing there, the bar owner like opens up the centipede machine, and puts in like, you know, 50 credits and the, and the bartender girl gives you like all the bar fruit for a Shirley temple. But, yeah. uh, but you know, as I got older, I mean, even like, I don't know, man, like 10, 11 years old, I would just tag along with them to the, to the North end and just hang out. I mean, I don't know if that would happen today, but like, I can remember just sitting at the bar, like just chatting some people up, you know, like they're probably in their twenties or thirties and I'll, you know, I'd just be hanging out. Um, yeah, I had similar experiences at the antenna when I was young, right. even before being a teenager, honestly, um, just hanging around there. But yeah, I, I remember some nights getting some weird looks, like sitting right. at the bar, eating one of Bob's burritos. Yeah. Now, were, did you were you there when it was the well or? Oh, no. I mean, I was born in 79. So oh, OK, OK. Yeah, I was I was too young for that. But right. um, but I was there at a pretty young age. I mean, I remember seeing like Jason and the Scorchers, right. Like sound checks and stuff in the, in the pretty early eighties. Yeah. I mean, God, I, I started playing the antenna probably in, I don't know, 86, maybe like I was, yeah, I was 13. I had a band, hardcore band called uncensored <laughs> and, uh, we opened up for like Metro waste. Um, I, th- I think, and maybe, a, maybe righteous bullshit. <laughs> Which I, is like I, don't, a, I don't i remember metro waste i don't remember the other one i think righteous bullshit was a, a, a short-lived offshoot of some of the people from metro waste okay um what what did your dad think of like your punk rock hardcore stuff he loved it he loved it he loved the irreverence of it um because you know like coming from the blues slash singer songwriter world you know there tends to be a lot of things taken seriously i guess um, and, uh, I, I remember, I don't know if it was Metro Ace or, or righteous bullshit, but <laughs> he was there at the, at the gig. And, and, um, he talked about this for the rest of his life. You know, the band started and, and then the singer just started going bullshit, 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 bullshit. <laughs> and he just, I, I remember him just falling out at the table. He loved it. It was, the, he thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. Now let's hear a new unreleased song of Steve's that I'm really excited to be able to share with you on the podcast. 
This one is called Judge Boucher. Thank you. 
Don Valentine shoots the breeze about wild bills. Well, I tell you, I love to entertain, and it's a great feeling. And I'm the type of person I like to connect with the audience, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing to make the audience feel comfortable, you know, and welcome. And once you do that, like Bill Street, you know, uh-huh. once you do that in the end of the night, people say, man, when I came in here, I just thinking, you know, hear a little music and walk down the street and, and check out some more bands. But he said, man, I just been here. I just couldn't leave. Is every song uh-huh. after song, it got greater and greater. <laughs> uh-huh. And he found himself there at the end of the night to it's all over with, you know. And he mm-hmm. said, man, how you do that, man? I just said, well, I just like to connect with the crowd and find out what kind of music they like and what they like. And, and I take it from there, you know. Yeah. I don't never have a set schedule what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, just mainly going off instincts. And and that connection with the crowd, that's something that you really enjoy. Yeah, that's something I enjoy, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. What what about that connection with the crowd? Because again, I, I think back to, uh, and I want to, I, w- I would like for us to talk a little bit about this because I, I know a lot of folks who are going to listen to this podcast, they're going to know about you from back in the day, from that era at the Wild Bills era. And so, tell me about that. Like that room being is a great was a great room. You had Wild Bill at the front door. So tell me about how when you first started playing at Wild Bills, I guess with Big Lucky or 
how you got there and how you got to know Wild Bill and all that. Oh, okay, how I first got there, I remember Wild Bill had first opened that place up. It was a restaurant. Okay. And Wild Bill had always been a blues lover. You know, he'd go around and listen to bands and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and him and Big Lucky, I didn't know Wild Bill at the time, but he knew Big Lucky. Okay. So after he had been there a couple of months, he told Big Lucky he would like to put a band in there. Okay. And so Big Lucky was the one that brought us to Wild Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest was history. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and so what about Wild Bill's, like the club is like a neighborhood club. And then as far as becoming also like, you know, you had the, the, the local folks, the black folks, and you had the white folks and the kids from Rhodes and you had the tourists, you had like so much going on there. So what was that like for, for y'all over time? And um, just the, the spirit in the room and the energy playing there and all that. Man, I tell you, we never designed Wild Bills to be like Wild Bills, you know. At that time, when we first started out, we were just all black audience. Uh-huh. And by us playing on Bill Street, we used to do a set from uh, 6 to 10. Okay. On Bill Street, at a club called This Is It. Okay. And we leave there and go to Wild Bills and start at 11, from 11 to 3. Okay. So we started getting a following from Bill Street. People wasn't, you know, didn't get enough of us for some reason. They want to know <laughs> where y'all going after this. And we tell them we're going over to Wild Bills and play. And oh, wow. people started following us over there, and that's how it got started, man. Okay. Like wildfire. Next thing you know, it was more like 80-20. Okay. White and twenty percent black. Oh wow, the black folks were outnumbered. <laughs> yeah, they were outnumbered. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, but it was great. We had a great time. You know, everybody enjoyed uh-huh. it. So, I think it's one of the one of the only places where you really had a mixed crowd like that. You know that mm-hmm. they really enjoyed the blues. So.
global capitalism. We have collaborated with the FBI to forever crush the weak white minority. Brainwashing your children in the arms of our socialist state of prison leader Milton Friedman. We have turned all your Ghostbusters gay. Get November 23rd, Drifting Away. Spaceman Michael Graber sings about the tattoos he shares with the devil. This was the first single, and it's called The Devil's Got Your Name. Well, I haven't been in this bar since you left me. Now I'm coming all alone in blue. From across the bar, devil's staring at me. His red eyes burn in that sunshine. He said, I'm so lonesome, breaking inside. Need some beer to see me through. And the devil's got your name tattooed on his arm in the same damn place it's mine. Oh, and I soon made friends with the devil. He said you left him like you left me. He said he'd seen my picture on top of that color TV. That you stole from me. Just then you come walking through the door. Divorce lawyer in your home. And the devil says to me, Hey, there's the folks who stole my family's phone. 
aching inside. Need some beer to see me through. And the devil's got your name tattooed on his arm. In the same damn place as mine. And the devil's got your name tattooed on his arm. In the same damn place as mine. October 21st, Glory Line. Dreamboat William Luke White croons about lost friends and rock bottom. Did you already have it planned to put out this record at this time, or did that result because of, you know, like the opportunity created by the pandemic? Um, well, I had all the songs recorded, and, you know, I just started just trying to figure out what I could do, you know, like... Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic definitely was kind of the thing that prompted me to kind of go back and just listen to a bunch of stuff, you know, and it was like, okay, these, these are good, you know, and it was, um, and when, when did you do those tracks? Weren't they, they were part, you said they were part of a clay Otis session maybe. Yeah. Uh, that was 2016. And, um, Today is actually the anniversary of Clay passing. Um, oh wow! Rest in peace. Yeah, man, it's been four years, and um, really miss that guy. But um, yeah, that was part of that the adults record we did. That um, like I wrote all the music for that, and um, and then Clay kind of sang over it and or we we basically were getting together you know after work um and we were writing like three or four songs a day or something you know it was something that had never really happened you know it's, it's never been that way with with me before you know I, I kind of a yeah. little bit obsessive about things and i just overthink them and Working you know, fast is really fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it was extremely gratifying, you know, um, to be able to do that. And I had all this instrumental music and things like that. And, you know, it just kind of, but that, even that the songs I had instrumentally that I used for that, we just started writing more and more and just like, what's this song about? What's this, you know, what's the theme of this one? And, you know, it was just really fun. You know, I had this little portable black star amp. Um, it's like the size of a lunchbox basically. And I would just bring my telly over to his house and we'd sit on the porch and just kind of churn them out, you know, and it was, it was cool. But, you know, as we were doing that, I found a, you know, like these, well, the four that I put on this EP, I was right as you know we were writing them, or uh, I was, I was like, all right, this one's mine, and you know he was like, yeah, dude, whatever, and um, and I just kind of assumed that that was going to be like there was going to be another record, you know, that'd be like 
me and him, you know, uh, the way that him and Toby did the shadow brother and Cleotis release. And, um, that your thing would be kind of the flip side of that coin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it it was just was going to, he was going to be involved, you know, and it was just all coming from the super productive fun and just, yeah. Thank you, Luke. To close things out, here's William Luke White performing a song live off his new EP, This Is My Worst. Saturday, there's nothing in my way I'm gonna take all night I just got paid, so yeah, I pissed it away And now I'm not gonna learn until it takes a turn for the worst I got DUI you know but I'm still driving and I'm still drinking I stole her car and drove the state too far and now they're coming after me face is gonna show when I'm at my worst be to you all for joining us if the true host approves we will join you again soon in the best of back to the light 2020 part two until that time live long and prosper